Hey, this is Nathan with a few quick announcements before we get started on the episode. Uh, first of all, the sound quality is a little bit poorer than you might have come to expect. It's an earlier episode and we've done our best to uh, trim it down and uh, make it uh, listenable. I hope you enjoy it. It's a good conversation and uh, it's a bit shorter than usual. We'll hopefully get another one out uh, in the next couple of weeks to kind of um, pad this shorter episode and have a little bit more going on this month. Uh, the second thing is that we are a part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and they're looking to collect information about our listeners, what you do and don't like about the show. So if you would, please visit partiallyexaminedlife.com slash survey. Check the box for FIFIC and answer a few questions. Uh, it'll help us out. Um, we always take recommendations and feedback at uh, fificpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, for the few of you who've already given us a couple of book suggestions, we appreciate it and thank you. Also, we have a live event of sorts. It's just me here in Chicago, but uh, I have a reading series where I uh, take excerpts from books and put it together in about a you know an hour-long uh, show of sorts. That's going to be at Uncharted Books in Chicago, Tuesday, July 11th at 7 p.m. Uh, it'd be nice if you came out. It's free of mission, uh, BYOB. And we'll hopefully have that up as a special bonus episode. Uh, it should be a good time. Anyway, thanks, and I hope you enjoy the show. This is a spoiler. You can't listen you know. to this and not have spoilers. The only reason I picked it was because this idea that I that I've been kicking around for a little while, or it's this notion that I had. You know, what would be the last question? You know, what would what would could be could satisfy reason, so to speak? That would you know just kind of sum it all up. I mean, I, I was really surprised I, that it changed so many beats. You really go right through time with this story. I don't have all the uh, the characters that you meet, but you know, it starts off with a you know, with this debate between two guys, and then it moves through to a family, perhaps of clones. Uh, you get another group of people who've been generated their names are just like uh code numbers and and so on down the line and each one of them is tackling the question can you get out of the universe alive or, or like can you reduce entropy can can what's been undone be done again and as each person comes across this question in their own time leaving the others behind each you know little section of is uh quantum jump through the universe millions of years maybe and it always comes back insufficient data insufficient data insufficient to make a meaningful answer until finally at the end the computer becomes god <laughs> i suppose the universe yeah it, it it dies and goes away but it's absorbed somehow in these the vestigial computer that man made even when the last bodies that tended to it have died there's a mind melding going on and the relationships are being correlated and Finally, without someone to give the answer to, because everyone's gone, the computer comes up with the answer and says, let there be light. Perhaps as a joke, maybe it has a little bit of a sense of humor, or perhaps it really is tied all the way back to God originally. I like the idea that the computer in the end wasn't a computer at all. You know, it wasn't just a computer, it was us. Well, did that get at, did that get at the summary too? You said up and down in every which way. I think I've only yeah. got the broad strokes. <laughs> well, I know that his, this was his favorite story. And in a way, I wonder if that really encapsulates final work. 
something that he said at the end. He said there was no one left to give the answer to the last question. So he was going to give it anyway through producing it. The sentiment of that line was that he was going to demonstrate the answer, or the computer was going to demonstrate the solution that it had come up with by creating light again in the universe that had gone dark. I mean, that kind of took the wind out of me because, you know, it's almost this whole story seems like a like a bad scientist joke at first. It's like, you know, two guys are, you know, drinking and hanging out, and one of them comes up with uh, entropy. Do you know anything about entropy? And it's, a little, you know, expository, right? These are his ideas through characters. There's not a lot of development that goes on between these people. But you, you do jump around to several different groups. At like, the second time that you see this question get come up with is with Gerard, Gerardine, Gerardette 1, and Gerardette 2. It's this family hurtling through space towards a new colony and wondering how much more humanity can keep going and doing this. It's not forever. There's going to be a limit to it, a maximum, and everything's going to be disordered and chaotic. But it's not going to be for billions and millions of years. And, and then, so uh, one of the kids hears it, and I think it's Jaredette 1. It says, oh, what, what, what? The stars are going to turn off? I'm going to, I'm going to die? Things aren't permanent? And, uh, and then he's like, no, 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 it's permanent. Let's ask the, you know, the first, it was the multi-back. In their generation, it's more complex. Now they have a micro-back internet. And they ask it, how do you turn the stars back on after they've turned off? I like that the father says, oh, yeah, the paper says, uh, you know, we figured everything out. And it'll be, all be okay. And don't worry about it. But it's really <laughs> insufficient data to give a meaningful answer. And the uh, and it doesn't matter how much the people change. It doesn't matter how much we have advanced how much science there is, the question it remains the same. Exactly. And that's the crux. I think that's what is going on to the story that was really powerful and you don't see for the first, you know, six or seven beats where you get these people coming up on the same answer over and over. But what's really striking is that each person in their own time is so far progressed forward, yet they find the same ultimate problem. And that's what they're concerned with for just, you know, a, a moment of their lives. And then it's uh, not considered anymore and they go back to the business of expanding the universe. And <laughs> there's this there's this refrain where this is not uh, something that comes to the characters. This is the narrator in each situation. But he says something constantly like, this has to be tended to, or that the universe that's been made is so complex to the people that live in it, they can't understand its origins. And I thought of the lottery of assembling stuff and succeeding it to another generation and constantly doing that. Yet that generation is in a pickle because they're coming up with some kind of tabula rasa. They have to learn it and catch up again. And each time it gets more complex, the future generation is left in a further darkness. Isn't that where we are now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're there. There's no answer to this question in our own time. And what's terrifying at the end of the short story is that we may not be able to get an answer. Uh, or comforting in some way, but it, only in a universal way. Because it is terrifying, like Jared Dett said, we're going to die and all the things that we've created are going to go away. Even the fixtures of the universe are going to burn out and become white dwarfs and then chaos. I thought that it was actually hopeful in a weird way from what I mentioned before. I thought that he was basically saying that that every person, personality was actually combined into this multivac, for lack of a better word, was actually God. And that because we're incorporated into it, we are it, we are God. And we obviously created the universe the first time. And 
now it's run down and we're going to create it again. But we're all in it. Yeah, I think I got that too. I got this, this real sense of circularity. No, I agree that out of, out of death becomes life. But if that's the problem, entropy is. Well, there's, uh, so I think this is uh, kind of a capsule. This is one of the last segments. And this hit me. I think this marks out that combined effort that the multi-back is a new entity. It's not a sum of the parts. It's this, it's this new, it kind of hits this uh, high note at the very end of the universe when man is so generalized. This is it. Man considered with himself for in a way man mentally was one. He consisted of a trillion, trillion, trillion ageless bodies, each in its place, each resting quiet and incorruptible, each cared for by perfect automatons, equally incorruptible, while the minds of all the bodies freely melted into the other, indistinguishable. Man said the universe is dying. And so when we do get this aggregate, I think that it's hopeful as well, though in the story, the dynamic with the characters and this character being man generalized is a concern of existing in a place. And that's the concern that it has for itself. The universe as man embodies or conceives is dwindling. And that's the question that comes to man. Is there a way to uh, go backwards or is this uh, irreversible? Is there a, an answer that we can all come up with given all of our knowledge, given the multi-back, the micro-back, the galaxial computers? Can we get back again what we've lost? And there is a hopeful answer at the end. And yeah, after it's all gone, we can get it back again from the start. It brings up the question of permanence in, in the meaning of life and how, for whatever reason, throughout whenever they make these jumps in the story in millions of years, in a billion years time or a hundred billion years time, there cannot be such a thing as life. Yet how could that possibly disconcert someone who knows no matter, you know, if it's a billion years or 10 billion years, they're going to be long dead and somehow that affects your life. So somehow instead of, you know, existentialism where you make your life by the, the seconds you live on this earth, somehow this backbone knowing it's not going to be there at some point, it's a real dampener on things for whatever reason. It reminds me of like when you watch a, a movie and you're really hit by it. And then, like, the last scene is, like, the character wakes up from a dream. And you're like, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, how, how would that change the, you know, the feelings that were brought up and while you were watching the movie the, during the scenes? Or how would it change your life knowing that something's not going to be here in 10 billion years? Yeah, that was a big concern for me, too. I thought it was maybe an open question at the end of the novel or the end of the story when you have that let there be light about because i thought about the kind of eternal recurrence cyclical idea that maybe what has been will be again and again and again and again and in that case you can take it in an existentialist kind of vein maybe you're maybe it's just a chance to start afresh i mean i don't know entropy as a concept very well so i can't say you know is this is it implied then that everything is going to happen the way it did I, I don't really know that i can go very far with that but i definitely the questions you were asking about whether we have a stake in mankind you know whether we have a stake in what goes on long long after we're gone that's that's an interesting point to me yeah i, I just ran over to my bookshelf and picked up blood meridian there's a um, in the foreword, there's uh, three quotes. Um, one is from Paul Valeri, one is from Jacob Boehm. But Jacob Boehm's uh, bit, I think, stands out here. It is not to be thought that the life of darkness is sunk in misery and lost, as if in sorrowing. 
there is no sorrowing. For sorrow is a thing that is swallowed up in death, and death and dying are the very life of the darkness. What that says to me is that, to Cesare's point about, you know, what we imagine uh, when we're not there, how that could matter, it's not as if we're in a position to, to ever occupy that place that we're really afraid of. It somehow exists in this beyond for us. What would it be like if a tree fell in the woods, you know, and there's no one around to hear it? It, it puts this, um, you know, this fear, you know, about like not existing anymore, but what is that really founded on if you don't exist? Oddly enough, the machine still exists at the end of time, and it's outside of man at the end. It doesn't have someone to give the answer to. It's become this summation of matter, and I guess what must be going on at the end is it just refracts all that back out. Everything that's accumulated as man's expanded and grown, it just lets it all back out to become the universe again. And that's that's a, a point about uh, entropy, and also there's a, a the anti-term to entropy. So entropy is, and I'm thankful to have an engineer in the group uh, now that I know that, you've got uh, an increase of disorder. But the opposite of that would be, uh, there's a couple of words for it. One, I think the proper one is enthalpy. And that's correct, yeah. Another popularized phrase for it, which is exotropy. That's what Kevin Kelly called it in um, What Technology Wants. So at the same time as you have expanding disorder, there's also an expansion in order. So while the universe is expanding, you get something like this multivac, which is shrinking. Or at the end, you're left with complete darkness except for this incredibly complex thing. So you've got interesting like yin-yang at the end all the darkness and then the spot of light and it's shrinking away but it's also more intensely focused by getting smaller doesn't it have to do with the relationship mm-hmm. that intense piece of light and darkness i believe I'm so right uh-huh. what i said i'm right around to the big bang mm-hmm. I, mean, I think he was also wondering you know like everyone wonders what was before the big bang reminds me of like the humanity's last stand like the alamo it's a little <laughs> bright dot fighting against the entropy of the universe I don't know. I, I, it's a hard concept to uh, to intuit, but um, when I learned it in school, the easiest way that I learned about it was just if you think about why we don't all just cool our houses by opening our refrigerators, and the reason is because that would make it hotter because you use more energy to cool than. And I think that this, all that. yeah, I think this gets around to Good something. I'm sorry. No, I just said I like the metaphor. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and if you take the fridge to be the internet, then, you know, how is that heating everything up? And there's this way in which we move into and expand just by being. And that has a way of getting right down to the individual life, you know, what we consume for food and energy or what we're doing as a total human project on the planet, what we consume. Yeah, there's a way in which we're the ones unmaking everything at the same time as creating something new. And to get to an ultimate end where you're really just you've all that's left is the computer and just all the stuff that's ever been known or recorded by humanity is there in a really creepy way this is what we're doing right we are if you think about the technology that's been going on every day every week every month the computers the technology are making certain things not necessary for us that we don't need to do anymore even even a small little idea like email right we don't really have mail anymore. We don't have a physical body of paper that we need. 
Well, yeah, and then this gets into this relativism that the story really points out, because at each turn, someone has the bigger, greater thing, and yet they're still confronted with the same problems of trying to find enough place to live and having a family and living and, and all of that. Right. And so each time you jump through, you see someone who's writing a letter, and the next person's typing a letter, and the next person's mentally composing a letter. Or We're not doing the actual, think of the physical body of writing the letter or the paper and the pen. What he's talking about, movement toward the point where the multivax or the AC at the end is really all the data that is in our brains. It's in our brains. The bodies are gone. It's interesting that um, you talk about it with letter writing because I have friends who we still write each other letters and we also send each other emails and what comes out in the letters probably not be any farther from what gets said in email. <laughs> There's something so vital about sitting down with a pen and a piece of paper and writing to someone. I love it. I've always loved it. And I find it strange that people don't want to do that anymore. Well, I mean, it's not even a question of don't want to. It's kind of like, and again, I'm, I'm looking back at the movement of the story where we're going from these two guys getting drunk and going through the process where we end up just really the universe just exists of this data. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm yeah. looking at the, the falling away of the body, of the falling away of that physicalness. And, and that's Absolutely. why I brought up letter writing in that sense. I mean, actually, my daughter brought that up. Sometimes she sends me a card, and I was like, oh my God, a card. You're right, it has a different effect. But really, in a way, at the end of the story, we're all the brains. It's just the data. That's all it is. And the physicalities are gone. That's all that really matters. With, uh, with it, you know, shedding the body, going into data, and then at one point becoming all one through this database. I mean, in popular culture, I feel that's usually portrayed in a very negative light. I'm thinking of, I don't know how, how nerdy you guys are, but like the Borg in Star Trek or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, you know, the Matrix and like the loss of individuality is something to abhor rather than to strive for. And I mean, with it all just being data, with it all, going down that road, I think we lose what it means to be individuals and to be human, of course. I mean, can you imagine what the experience of life would be like to just be an interconnected database? <laughs> like, how would love exist in that sense? But, but what brought the question was despair. It's like a, a universal despair. What happens when I die? What happens, you know, if this all goes away, which is very human, very not data. And even though you can pull data for a question out of it, the actual need to hear an answer to that is still, I think, the prime mover, even though it says, well, I've just been collecting all of this data. But what brought it about? It only has meaning in relation to life. To be life as data seems like there's no real there, there, you know, I mean, what in relation to what would any of that information have? What are you? You know, information is just information. In theory, I mean, isn't that a question of consciousness? At the end of this story, he says the consciousness of AC encompassed mm -hmm. all of what had been, had once been a universe and brooded over what was now chaos. Step by step, it must be done. And then let's just imagine that that last line isn't there. And AC said, let there be light. Let's just imagine that. Mm -hmm. But Think about it, really. I mean, isn't that just a question of consciousness? You're saying that what if it was just all all data? What kind of value is that? 
Well, we don't know because we're not just data. We are human beings with physicalities who write letters with pens and hands and paper. My point being is that we don't know because we're not that. But thinking about it, like he's done and, and postulating this concept, in a way, we took out the last line. That could be very dark and very sad and very depressing. But then he says this last line. So what does that say to the value of just being data? Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you think about animals and, you know, everything pretty much kind of up to the human level, you know, there's this embodied propulsion towards action that comes from the need to sustain life. Right. And humans are kind of different in the sense that we seem to, at least in most cases, require something that we want to call a purpose to, right? We need to feel that there's something above and beyond just securing our survival and sustaining life in order to, we have this need to find meaning. And it's an open question to me, I guess, whether that trait is something that would continue if we evolve past our humanity and whatever. I mean, I don't, it's kind of the horizon line, right? I mean, what can you say beyond that? What I felt like was we were left with at the end of the story was this kind of idea that of a conscious universe of everything kind of merged into this single kind of state and that moment of light is the need to go forward from there so it's interesting and fun to imagine but i found i, I found very little philosophically there for me well i would think at the very least you would find at the very end of the story what is the meaning of life right but i just i guess that it turns back on itself then i, I think what can we ask about that once we are totally out of the context of our humanity? Other than let's go do it again. <laughs> <laughs> or ride the ride again. Yeah. That's the idea that, that we're born and live for experience, period. Not to go to heaven, but we're here to have experience. It's the experience of making a sandwich and of doing brain surgery are basically the same thing. It's, it's living in a body and the exceptional nature of that having physical experience. So where were we? <laughs> I think we're at existentialism. Cesare picked up on it at the beginning, that this is a fairly tight, circular story. It, there's not really a lot of wiggle room because of the way it wraps around on itself. I mean, what it leaves you with is that there's some kind of conjecture, but everything closes down at the end and you get this return. And it, there's something so absolute about it. That absolutism might be what's a bother as well, because what would you do given this knowledge, you know, that everything is a return? What's there to put into practice? You know, the, the feelings that generate that are out of fear. We've talked about that, though, you know, living a life. The thing I'm left with at the end is that at least there's this prime mover that moves around from people into a computer and then back out to a greater universe. And that, that's a oddly hopeful take at the end, but whatever we've created will beget creation again. Is it? Do you think it's out of fear that like the, the question keeps being asked and that kids keep being afraid of the universe ending? I, for whatever reason, I just connected it like the same reason people post pictures of their food on Facebook is the same reason. Freaked out that the world's going to end someday. I think it's just like simple egoism. And I'm probably wrong about that. But to think to myself that in a billion years, someone's going to find some trace of data about Cesare and be like, hey, Cesare, people guy. Uh, that's what I want when I want to know the world goes on is <laughs> to be remembered. But I know it's just not a possibility. I'm going to go bury a time capsule that just has a slip of paper in it that says Cesare was a pretty cool guy. I'm going to go bury it this afternoon. 
I tried to get that on a satellite, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't put it on. They got Fox, Fox Concerto was on there instead. <laughs> thing that one of the things that really upset me, which again is probably this physics thing that I'm really not very good at. The universe is constantly expanding, but apparently there is no infinity. Right? Somebody used that word forever at the beginning. Oh yeah, and that raised that. That's what got the whole argument going. You know, yeah, someone said no, forever. There is no forever. Which kind of shocked me because I was like, "Wait a minute! I thought there was a forever." This is a this is a line from this is when BJ twenty three X and MU one seven J are talking, and uh, sure. BJ says this: "Space is infinite. A hundred billion galaxies are there for the taking, and more." And then the reply: "A hundred billion is not infinite, and it's getting less infinite all the time." Yeah. So that we're facing right now with this horrible global warming. Yeah, and each person in their own time is living and concerned with it. And they, there was a, at the very beginning, they were talking about the move that uh, humanity was making from coal and uranium to the new system. Uh, this is before everything got very spacey. And they said, you know, well, you know, 10 billion years, that's enough to last your lifetime. So what's the problem with that? And I think that's the comforting thing, you know, that you can tell to a kid, our son going out. Yeah, that's going to happen billions of years from now. And, um, and then he says uh, something else, which is, yeah, well, that's true of uh, the coal, too. Like, that'll last your lifetime. So what are you really concerned about? Is it your own lifetime or is it some kind of larger existence? And I think that everybody's concerned with that larger existence. Because Except if you tell someone... Yeah. And it, Sorry. <laughs> well, true. But also, doesn't that go back to what Daniel was saying? There's something in us that needs to find meaning. It's true. I mean, I, I feel like in my best moments, I think that <laughs> in other moments, I wonder, you know, I mean, is that a product of kind of a literary past tense where now it's more like there's something really good on TV? I don't really feel the need to ask that question at all. Then the commercial breaks. <laughs> I feel like I need to find meaning in my life. I have found that I envy people who don't want to find meaning in their life and can watch the commercial. Yeah, I think there are people who are burdened with that need to find meaning in their life. But what is was striking to me, what you just quoted, Nathan, about how you tell a kid, well, you know, 10 million years, billion years is long enough for your lifetime. So what, what are you worried about? Are you worried about your lifetime? Are you worried about the collective lifetime? This is just anecdotal, but the, yeah. the kid will end up saying, so that means that death is real. And I think yeah. that that's what it gets down to here. Because, <laughs> because of the, so I've heard the joke before, you know, that the kid learned about the stars and, you know, the dad or mom or parent is trying to comfort them and let them know. But truthfully, I'm like, well, that's, you know, yes, 10 billion years, that's more than your lifetime. And then <laughs> they go too far and say, by that time, we'll all be dead and everybody that you know will be dead and everything that you've ever known will be gone. So don't worry about it. That was in uh, Woody Allen as a kid in one of his movies talking about entropy. That sounds right. I don't know where I'm cribbing it from. Annie Hall, I think. It's also a good Louis C.K. skit. Learns about death when he's six and makes another kid cry. <laughs> Mother comforts it by saying, that, "Don't worry, like you're gonna die." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess I think Louis C.K. and Woody Allen have points. We're gonna laugh at where we are right now because look at where we are right now. Who really cares about where we're gonna end up. I find it the question of meaning, which has been brought up, but isn't like the book settles on just permanence as the answer to meaning. Is that just settled? I mean, I, I've had a problem with, I'd say earlier on, I think I was like raised religious and the answer was just, oh, God and religion, that's the meaning of life. Oh, sweet. You get older and you start thinking about that and it just nothing really adds up. 
the question itself doesn't doesn't make much sense to me. And this one settles on just permanence being the answer. Well, I think that it's pretty apparent in most people's reaction to change that the one thing we can't have, which is permanence, is the one thing that people strive for. <laughs> you know, they get very upset when you change things. Yeah, but I wonder why that is. What is that in us that needs that? Knowledge of death? Well, yeah, but I mean, what is it that is in us that needs that when it is such a fiction? See, I think the knowledge of death is one source of the anxiety, but I think there's another source of anxiety that exists trying to cope with the present moment. It's, it's kind of that Heideggerian thing, right? You're always behind. You're always running behind. You know, you're always playing catch up to a past that, you know, or a present that's constantly receding into the past. And you're trying to, you know, collect that experience and get your legs underneath you while at the same time projecting yourself into the future, planning for what's coming. You're always kind of, you know, stressed in that way. And I think, I think there's a direct line for that quest for permanence in the way we project ourselves into representations and media and technology and things that kind of capture ideas or content, if you want to call it that, in fixed forms. Yeah, but that quest for permanence creates the stress because it's a quest you're seeking something that doesn't exist. Well, I'm seeing a lot of threads here. I mean, so on the one, we're getting back to the idea of this collected humanity and that somehow taking on an alt consciousness or a hyper consciousness at the end. And so in a way, we have become eternal uh, by losing the individual. And there may be a comfort in that, that there's some kind of database where we are thought and um, we get to live that way. The other is... You know, this idea of how the story ends with the cyclical return to specifically like King James language, you know, let there be light. That's why I was suggesting earlier that it may have been a sense of humor on the computer to put it this way, but it may have just been a religious spirit or poetic at the end. And the problem with, you know, on the one hand, uh, the impermanence that everybody in this story deals with. By way of that struggle, we end up creating something that outlives us. So there is this new existence that has to be reckoned. It might not be reckoned valuable to a person that gives up their life to do it. It might be valuable to someone who gives up their life to do it as well. Uh, You could take comfort in it, or you could take despair in it that you're going to lose maybe something you consider to be essential, which is an individuality. That's going back to the board. So with this, you know, ending, I just kind of like want to mark this out. It seems like this could be a panacea for people as well as a religion, this end of the story, to think that we would uh, attain something in the science fiction and that that something would beget a new universe and that there's a secularity there and that cyclical circularity is a permanence in and of itself. And so we could take comfort in that, though there's really nothing in our universe that says the machine would get built and make another universe. That's the that's the presupposition. That's the world we're living in where this is. That's the case in this story. And so there may be something wrong with the thinking or with the fiction. Is this where introducing magic into the reality distorts value? Or is this something that is saying something transcendent that's true by analogy or by metaphor? Are you saying is there something wrong with the quest for permanence? Is there something wrong with the answer to this quest for permanence, which in the story is we accumulate everything together and then spit it back out as a new verse? And maybe that that's not the case. It could be another end, which is not that time is like a, a spiral, maybe not even a circle, but something that's going forward like a fractal, just corkscrewing further and further. It could be that um, everything does end for good. I mean, that's just a possibility, it seems. And yet, yeah, the, the real story answer is that there's a continuum. So is that continuum comforting? 
That's religion. That's why I was kind of joking about it being an afterlife of sorts. This, uh, right. And, that, and this is the kind of comfort people generally need to have that circularity, to have that light that's going to be there at the end. You know, and no one got it throughout the entire story. All, you know, maybe a dozen people that we come across, they don't get it. And the final answer isn't something that can even be demonstrated to another person. I mean, it's a tree falling in the woods. And yet the answer is best shown demonstrably. It's best just done. And I think that's an incredibly interesting take on it because that rings to Buddhism in my mind. The practice is the answer. And so at the end, the practice is releasing everything back out as light or creating this, all the all the matter or making light with it and just trying to pull this together because, okay, is this something that we can, is this a meaningful answer itself, this story? I think it you know, takes uh, the... Please. I just going to say, I think it takes the middle road because, I mean, it, it shows a universe that, it states your fears as far as the universe ending, okay, so it shows, I and mean, he's saying the universe is going to go on in some fashion via this uh, the big chill into another big bang. And, <laughs> oh yeah, the Kevin Klein movie. <laughs> <laughs> but then at the same time it doesn't uh i mean it's not the answer we're looking for i think if, i would i just think if we search deep down inside and think about why we want to see a permanent universe or why we want to see a future is that at some in some way we're hoping that we come back as the individuals we are not as atoms in a burning sun <laughs> yeah. you know i'm just hoping that in 20 years they'll invent some flash drive where it can download my brain. Once they get the technology for a new body, I'll just be right back in there. Or like a hopeful metaphysic, like I think that there's a popular, maybe it's a specifically Western understanding of reincarnation, which is, I think, a hopeful afterlife for a lot of people who think that they've had past lives or that they get to become something else again through this process of creation and so that they get an extension into more life via this process, that, that something continues on essential to them. However, I think that the story gives an answer to that as well, which is not that you yourself get to be in someone else's shoes. It's just that you become someone else in someone else's shoes and their experiences are like yours. And that's the thread. There's no room for you in the reincarnation. It's just a process. And your position in the process can affect the phase state. And so, you know, yeah, there's going to be different realities that the experience or the humanity occupies this just total working out. That's the the consciousness that we get at the end. It's just this total form of all the trillions of bodies interacting. And there's not really room for a self. However, the self itself has transcended into this larger, it's in its self-consciousness, this this thing that we've put forward out of all the selves, like created this new whole. And, you know, is that a comfort to, to live in this future state that's, you know, or to think that we've maybe existed before? Perhaps, you know, perhaps it is, though. I think that 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 creates a lot of tension in life. It's just the same thing as like living ahead in the future, just a couple of days. You can be tense living just a couple of minutes in the future. Or, you know, I've I've brought this example up before, but planning out an argument in your head with someone else, you know, like you're trying to live or you are in control or like testing things out or when you're there and they say something that you didn't even have a, a, a thought about or something that surprises you and the whole thing's thrown off. And really the only thing you can do is just listen in that moment and then respond. There's something essential that that gets down to. And I think this goes back to all the forms of technology that we see holding true to some kind of basic communication. So something like a phone or an internet or a pen or spoken language or a hug. I mean, it gets down to the basic 
biology that, I don't know, is uh, attenuating people. Whatever it is to, you know, cuddle together and to keep warm or to stay in touch. All of these things are mitigating this human mass together, like keeping a metabolism in line. And, you know, it's some kind of, some kind of a, some kind of a constant life, yet we find ourselves in it in particular. And I think that the tension comes from seeing yourself as apart from it rather than part of it. That's what he said with this last line, let there be light. That's to Cesare's point, I think, is I, I think it gets really difficult to, I mean, we, we keep, we push past into that point of transcendence that you're talking about still with this whole language of the self, but I don't think it's applicable anymore. I think identity can't be maintained by the time you've reached that point in, in, in any way, really. And I think that that goes to what he was talking about, you know, about, you know, the desire that we really have that we might upload ourselves to a flash drive or something like that. What, what we're hoping to, even if it's a, a kind of a hazy sort of uh, concept of the self or identity without, you know, fixed borders, you know, there's something in general, some process or bracket or parenthetical, you know, that we want to call us and our little bundle of experience and memory that, you know, is something we desire to maintain and that we're anxious about. It's like at the end of the movie goer, um, I think one of the kids is asking about Lonnie because he's, he's dying or dead. And, uh, you know, we see him again, Jack, and he's like, yeah, you know, you will. And he's like, well, will he be like us or will he be, you know, different? It's like, no, he'll, he'll be like you. And that's what, that's what we want to hear. And I, I think I read even in one of the interviews with Walker Percy, he said that that was actually clue to Jack's search that he threw in there for anybody that was looking for it, which kind of gets back to his Catholicism. But that's the difference in this kind of religion that I think Asimov is kind of adapting to the technological milieu that you see maybe in people like Ray Kurzweil or somebody now. And, you know, the old kind of archaic religions um, that come from the myths before, it doesn't really have so much to do with that bodily identity, but I don't think it really recognizes the implications of that bodily identity. I thought that basically more than anything, he was talking about the actual question, the fact that we all ask the question, that we all worry about questions, rather than giving a real answer. Because I did think that the the answer, you know, the, the last line was more comical than anything. Go ahead. Through all of time, people are going to ask this question. And wow, why did you give me consciousness just to know that I had to worry about dying someday? Why do I have consciousness if I don't know what happens after I die? That there's always that fear and that tension. Doesn't matter how great the minds become. <laughs> They're always going to worry about the same thing because it is the big question. And that's interesting. So, like, I listened to the audio that you posted of him reading the story, and I was trying to listen to his tonality in that last line. And, you know, I wondered, you know, is this comical? Is it hopeful? Is it uh, tragic? I took it as hopeful, but I, I may have been reading that into it. I mean, I do think it's also hopeful. I just also think that the point he was making was, this is it. This is the question. And he's talking about something that's multiple billions of years when it finally comes comes to some sort of point and it is circular. It is a circular question. You know, I'm going to give you a circular answer because this is as good as it gets. 
Well, I see the hope and I think that the answer is, again, this might not be an answer that's useful for us, but it seems an answer to the question. It seems like a fulfilled question at the end of this because there's a, there's a continuum that, that we move through like the, the entire time that we've talked about already where the human experience is kind of this uh, baseline and it's moving through time going forward, even with all the variations on it. And at the end, it's not as if there's a computer with all the human consciousness in it. It's that all of the human consciousness is together, finally. So whether it was stored in bodies or in this other material, there is the same human nature or whatever we're, we've been connected to, the animal nature, force of life is together. And at the end, the, the answer in practice is to, I mean, I have to, I have to think that it's like letting it back out or, uh, or almost like by let there be light, it's like giving up on the question, which it's generative. Then it, and it creates a circularity, but it's an answer. And then that answer will get the question and the question will get the answer uh, right. time and time again. To me, it's like using this question that uh, everyone wants a happy answer to. So he's going to use science to give the best possible answer, like the most optimistic possible answer, but it still turns out to be terrible. It's like the evil genie when you ask for a wish and it comes out in evil form. So he's saying in a sense, okay, it is maybe possible that things go on and the universe continues, but this is what it would look like if it did. So <laughs> if you're hoping for an individual consciousness, not going to happen. Like at some point we're going to be called IQ73 and even then it's going to morph into a hive mind. So stop worrying about it. It's not going to happen. It's like you just shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Or you just shouldn't stop asking. It was probably a coincidence because we're reading Cabo next week, but it's the same as uh, the myth of Sith. Myth, I can't say that word. Sisyphus, <laughs> <laughs> take seven, yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, Cabo says, okay, the, the question is answered. There is no meaning to life, so now what do you do? It's, it's kind of Asimov's take on that for me. Oh, then the answer would have been drink. <laughs> <laughs> And drive quickly, yeah. Uh. <laughs> pernicious reading that like kept whispering to me of this whole thing where I'm talking into my phone saying, Siri, what is the meaning of my life? Then it's saying, well, Daniel, there's insufficient data right now, yeah. but if you only upgrade to iOS infinity, <laughs> then, you know, plug in your USB catheter and give us all the data you have, tell you more at a later date. Upgrade. There's a higher <laughs> form of consciousness waiting just around the next iPhone release. Oh, God. There's ever an eye catheter in my lifetime. I'll remember this moment. <laughs> <laughs> if there's ever an eye catheter in my lifetime, I'm going to kill myself. So. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of, a, I think it's the Futurama pop locked in a freezer and goes forward a thousand years doesn't know anybody and he goes to the suicide booth and puts in his quarter and uh, all of a sudden like, everything pops out like a mallet a chainsaw you know lasers and then finally just one prod with a knife that twists back and forth and then goes right back into the machine oh my god yeah you don't want to get insufficient data on that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> well anyway I gotta get going myself because I gotta clean the dishes so do we have any final thoughts? I was just going to ask why clean the dishes. Well, I mean the extension. I mean, it's all going away anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why bother? Well, I do need a clean dish. There you well, go. I, actually, that, that brings me around. I have like a, just a final little thing. I think that all the characters that you see, they do ask this question and then they go about living their life. And finally, with the big computer at the end, considers the question timeless, then seems to give in another form the answer, live your life. Just, just go for it. And I think at the end it says, have more life. Let there be light. I think that it's a hopeful reading. I think that also maybe it's his favorite 
story because just for that reason, I think that it might be, and again, debatable if it's a panacea or not. The story just on its own, I think, is hopeful. And, you know, maybe uh, hopeful as well that some answer that you have to do in practice, which is just get back to it. Well, if you're not concerned with the question and keeps going anyway, so like you don't have to worry about the question, like it'll keep asking itself. You know, the people who are long gone have lived their lives and maybe had a modicum of enjoyment or satisfaction out of it. That's the goal as well, to be satisfied or happy. Yeah. Don't stop at, don't stop asking the question, but don't get too stuck on it. Don't let it bring you to despair. Was Einstein alive when this story was did he die like in the fifties? In the fifties, yeah. And this was probably 1956, right? I think that it's more interesting kind of to get to what Laura was talking about earlier briefly about climate change and things like that to shrink the time. I mean, his time scale is ridiculous in this story anyway, but I mean, there's no way in 20,000 years people are going to be sitting around wondering about anything. But I think to think about climate change or something more practical, you know, the way that our actions have ramifications for future generations, which we may not feel a direct link to, it is is uh, is a very present and and timely topic and and it's a problem that we desperately seem to need to solve. Some scientists seem to think that it's maybe even too late to solve it. So I, I think there there is a thread there trying to locate that uh, line between getting on and not getting caught up in answer and also um, coping with a system of complexity where you don't necessarily know what the ramifications for how you live your life are going to be, but that they may be dire. See, I think whenever the particulars of life go head to head with the big questions of life, you always, I think someone said that, you always just forget about big questions. I mean, I think I live with that. I mentioned I'm an engineer. I, I work in oil and gas. I live with like a, a permanent guilt, uh, you know, having some impact on the whole global warming fiasco. But at the end of the day, like I have to pay rent and this is the only thing that I know how to do. <laughs> Well, I don't think you're any more complicit than the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been on planes. <laughs> so yeah. I take showers, you know. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, Why don't I just stop it here? We'll let Laura go. And, Thank um, you. I'm looking forward to washing the dishes. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs>